I'm going to put it into context. We uh, finished John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. We're going to see a new character come on the scene. It's the very first time Jesus is going to reveal that he is the Messiah. It's going to be to a Samaritan woman. Now, the Mishnah said of Samaritans, the, the Jewish insight of the scripture said of Samaritans, especially Samaritan woman, that they are unclean from birth, meaning that a Samaritan woman is considered to be in a perpetual menstrual cycle for the entirety of her life that no man, no Jew can go anywhere near her. When a Samaritan would walk down the street and the shadow would be cast by the sun, a Jew would step out of the way of the shadow of the Samaritan because they were so defiling to a Jew. Jews and Samaritans hated one another. They, they wouldn't engage with one another, let alone a male to a male, but certainly never, ever, ever a male to a female. There would be no conversation. She is considered defiled and unclean in the Mishnah and the Jewish mindset. And yet, if we put it into a chronological order, there's a likelihood that this is a time where Jesus is probably in the midst of his 40-day fast. Um, you know, you can even see the, the temptation on the temple uh, when Satan, you know, said jump off. And, and I, I'm thinking in relation to this, this could have been with Nicodemus because he, he was overseeing the, the, the temple itself. Uh, this could all fall chronologically in that. I, I, I don't know. That's a, an assumption on my part. But we do know that the disciples went to go get food and they go to offer Jesus food and he turns it down. And, he's, and, and so there's a possibility that he's still in the midst of this 40-day fast. Um, but we, we look at this, and, and, and the, the passage begins in John chapter 4, um, where Jesus must go through Samaria. It's an imperative that the Holy Spirit directs him and drives him into Samaria. And Samaria, Sychar, Sychar, or Sichar, or however you want to pronounce it, from, from the northern portion to the southern portion, uh, it was right in the middle. It was a halfway point between Galilee and Jerusalem. And it was towards the coastal section on the other side of the mountain range. And when we travel to Jerusalem, uh, I'll take you through there and you'll get a chance to see it if you travel with us. But it was midway. It was a midway point. And so Jesus is drawn by the Holy Spirit. He must go through Samaria. No Jew went through Samaria. Jesus was directed by an imperative of God to go by the Father and by the Holy Spirit to go through Samaria. So with that, please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. I'm going to pick up this morning at verse 7. Verse 7. John chapter 4. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? I think it was said exactly like that. <laughs> For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who, says, who asks you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, by all means, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, 
go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, and by the way, this is probably the shortest response. I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands. And the one whom you have now is not your husband. And that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> we'll stop there. Lord, please bless our time. Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth. Lord, this woman doesn't want to go there, but you want to go where we don't want to go. And if we want to have that thirst that is quenched in the depths of our soul, then Lord, we need to go there. And for a lot of us, it's things that we haven't thought about in years. Like with this woman, her greatest pain was men. And that's exactly where you, Lord Jesus, took her. And I pray that you would take us to where we need to go, that each of us in our own way would surrender to you. We ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, so Jesus, uh, it, was, it was said in the previous chapter uh, of John chapter 4, I should say in the previous portion of John chapter 4, Jesus was baptizing more disciples than John. Although Jesus didn't baptize anyone, the scripture goes on to say, um, he, 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 here he is, his ministry is growing, and what does he do? He leaves the ministry to go to Samaria. I mean, this is not the way to grow a church. And so he's baptizing more disciples than John in a sense, but he departs Judea, and, and he departed again to Galilee, but instead as he's going to Galilee, he goes through Samaria, which no Jew does. And he came to the city of Samaria called Sishar, and he comes to this plot of ground that Jacob had given to his sons, and Jacob's well was there. And Jacob's well was not a, uh, a stagnant well. It was an it was a artesian spring. It, it bubbles. It's, it's fresh water. It's living water is the way that the Jews would describe it. In the language, still water is dead water, and then a bubbling artesian spring would be considered living water. And there's a play here that Jesus is going to do back and forth with this woman at the well. And, and it also describes that Jesus was wearied. He was exhausted from his, his journey. And he sat by the well at the sixth hour, which is noon. It is high noon. It's scorching hot. He's exceptionally tired and he's wiped out. And, and I love this because he was tempted in all ways and yet was without sin. And, and we use this acronym HALT, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. These are the times where we're most susceptible to falling prey to those sins that easily beset us. When you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And I'm thinking that's pretty much one of those four is continual for any of us at any time. I'm always hungry. I know it's hard to believe, but, and then you get angry and then you're lonely or you're tired. We all get tired. Well, Jesus is exhausted. He's hungry. His disciples are gone. In a sense, the world would consider him lonely, although he abides with the father. Um, and, and as he, he comes to the well, here he is. And it's the sixth hour and it's noon. And he sits down at the well and she's there at the sixth hour at noon. And, 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 and this, this woman is there, and Jesus engages her in a conversation. And she can tell he's a Jew. Every, his, his outward appearance is Jewish. Her outward appearance is as a Samaritan. And she came to draw water. And no one's around, and she's there to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, it's not a command, because it would go on later, why do you ask me this? It was gentle. It was, I, I, I beg you pardon. Would you please, uh, do you have anything to drink? It was more along the lines in the context of a, of a gentle request of the woman. He's not commanding her. And his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food because Jesus probably hadn't been eating if this is the process of his fast. 
Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, and this, I really believe this is how she said, how is it that you, being a Jew, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. I think that's how she said it. But I think there was disdain in her voice. Like there, there was a hatred between, and I love this about Jesus. Look around the room. Now it's, it, it, it's, it's not as mixed as I'd like it to be, but we got, we got every color. We got every, uh, every socioeconomic status. We've got uh, uh, every, everything represented here. Every age, young and old. Jesus is really into breaking down barriers. And he had to go to Samaria. He wanted to show that the gospel was, for God so loved the world. And, 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 and he, he comes to this woman and she's stunned. Why are you here? Even the disciples later will be baffled. What are you doing talking to this woman? She's a Samaritan. She's defiled. You're going to be out of commission. What is your deal, man? And, and, she, and he approaches her. And there's a gentleness and as he approaches her, hers is almost caustic. It, she, she doesn't even, she just calls him you, not sir. How is it that you, those people, we don't deal with you, your kind. Well, to the Lord, there's not those people. There's us. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. I don't care what you're into, what you do, how you identify. You're his. He formed you and fashioned you and loves you. But she looks at him like the world looks like we look at each other. How is it that you? And the more you enter in the political world, the more you feel this. Anyone who's different in, in their political positions, they, you're just an object for their scorn. They don't know anything about you. And they say vile and despicable things and and, and, and if they have the chance to meet you, they change their mind. But for the most part, it's easy to hate someone from a distance. And, and yet she says, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me? A Samaritan woman. And she probably says, oh, it's, oh, I'm defiled. You're the one who's defiled. You're the one who's all screwed up. The Jews don't get it. And it's so much so that they, they actually changed the biblical history to say that, that, that Abraham offered Isaac on Mount Gerizim, which is in Samaria which isn't true. And then they, they try to redefine the scriptures to, to make it fit their, their purposes and their, their social identity. And the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And I crack up at this because the woman's playing him, you. And then Jesus says, if you knew who it was that was asking you, if you knew the gift of God, and she's probably looking at him going, you don't know this, mister, but every husband I've had presented himself as a gift from God. <laughs> and I know you're kind. And, and your kind promises the world and doesn't even bring a bucket to draw water. You, you, you say you have all this stuff, but you don't even have a way to access it. I've heard your dreams and your schemes, and I know you men. And I know what you're about, and I know your gimmicks. And, 
And, and when he says this living water, she says, okay, I'll play your game. Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. You're like every other man. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to bless you, woman. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to, you don't even go to work every day. You dream and accomplish nothing. You don't even have a bucket. You have nothing to draw water with. You're throwing out promises. Maybe your mom told you you were a gift from God, but you're just another man to me, and I've seen him, and I'm done with him. She's not revealing her hand, but she's playing him. And she thinks she's winning this poker hand, but Jesus is drawing her in. And she's like, ooh, shiny. A man I can beat up because I'm angry. And she's following the lure. And she's upset because she's been hurt. And so she says, okay, I'll play your gift. Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where then do you uh, get this living water? And then she goes into her understanding of the Bible, which is completely off. She says, are you greater than our father Jacob? Now Jacob, Samaritans wouldn't come till centuries later. He didn't father the, the Samaritans. And, and, he, and she says, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well? He never gave the Samaritans the well. And he drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock. She's so off biblically and she throws it out much like our relatives do when you start talking about the gospel and you go where they don't want to go. What do they do? They throw out something. Well, where did, where did Adam and Eve's son get a wife? If I answer that for you, will you receive Christ as your savior? Well, I have other questions. And you just go down the list and they just keep throwing them out. And, and, and we, get, we get caught in their little gimmick. And what they're doing is they're sending you on a rabbit trail. And, and you, you, you want to get so angry you want to get frustrated. You want to correct them on their wrong theology. They'll throw something out. You won't even give a rip about them. You'll jump right on the topic and start correcting them and hammering them. And you lose them. Jesus just bypasses it. Our father Jacob, who gave us this well. Jesus is like, <laughs> you're talking about Jacob's well. You know nothing, woman. You're talking about Jacob's well. I knew Jacob well. <laughs> Wasn't a good wrestler, but I knew him. <laughs> <laughs> he just bypasses it. He doesn't even go into it. He just lets her have that. It's to a man's it's to a man's benefit to overlook an offense. An offended brother is harder one than a fortified city, and that's more along the lines of don't let yourself be offended. Just roll with it. You can't offend a dead person. You can't offend a dead person. I've been crucified with Christ. Just let it go. God will sort it out. Just, you can come back to that. Get to the heart. Everything's relational. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Get to the heart. And Jesus answered and said to her in verse 13, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Present continual. You can't get enough. You just can't get enough. And Jesus is unbelievable. He did this with Nicodemus. He takes the physical right into the spiritual. Parallel. Paraclete. Parallel lines alongside. Jesus takes a, an earthly story to illustrate a heavenly principle. 
And he does that with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, born again, born of the spirit. How can a man get back in his mother's womb? Parallel lines, physical picture, spiritual truth. And here he's, he, he knows that, that, okay, we got water. This is what we have in common. Find commonality. What do you have in common with the person? I have nothing. Well, then find something. Be nicer. Step into their world and understand them. Go have dinner. Oh, I don't associate with those guys. You go into Samaria. There's no such thing to a Christian as those people. You, you step into their world. You go through Samaria. You sit at the table. You love on them. You listen to them. And, and they're going to get it wrong. Don't correct them a thousand times and tell them that Jacob didn't give you any stinking well. Sit with them and find a commonality. We're both thirsty. You know I'm physically thirsty. You can see it on my face. He's probably in the midst of that fast, that 40-day fast. Could be. I don't know, chronologically speaking. But here we have this idea. He's, he's probably emaciated. He's certainly either finished the 40-day fast or he's in the middle of it. And then she looks at him and he's, it's noon and they're all thirsty. And he says, we have this in common. You came here to get water, so did I. And I said, listen, Jesus says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give them, or drinks of this water, you're going to thirst again. It's going to be present continual. You'll never get enough. You'll never get enough. God has created a subject of vanity, it says in Romans, that, that there's nothing in the world that satisfies us but God. Blaise Pascal, the French philosopher, God-shaped void. Everyone has that puzzle in their heart. They need this. And then he says, but whoever drinks singularly and, and once and for all of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life, pointing into Jacob's well. This is an artesian well. This is going to be inside you. You're going to be bubbling. You're going to be alive. You're going to be satiating others. You're going to be ministering to others. You're not going to be self-consumed, self-centered, depressed, miserable, stagnant, dead. You're going to be alive. You're going to be touching other people's lives. And he, he points this out and he lays it down. And, and he gets her right where she is. She's disillusioned. And when he's doing this picture of, of in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life, he'll go into greater detail in John 7 when he says, on the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood in the crowd and saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow, flow rivers of living water. And he's speaking of the Holy Spirit, this power to touch the world. And as he says this to the woman, her response, verse 15 the woman said to him, now, now she's not calling him you anymore. Now she's being re respectful. She says, sir, <laughs> okay, let's play your game. Go ahead and give me this water. I mean, who wouldn't want water that you only have to drink once? <laughs> I think the noonday sun's getting to your hello bit, mister. But go ahead, sir. Go ahead and give me this water that I may not thirst again, nor ever come here to draw. I mean, who wants to work? <laughs> I think it was like that. <laughs> and so now she's, she's in, hook, line, and sinker. She's in. And Jesus pulls the hook. <laughs> and this is, this is what he says to her. She wants to go to Mount Gerizim. She wants to go to the Jacob deal. Now she's playing games with him. Okay, you don't even have a bucket. Okay, okay, Mr. Everything. Mr. God's gift to women. Go ahead and give me this water. What do you got for me? I, I, I know men better than you probably do. 
And Jesus says, why don't you go call your husband and come here? And, and I love her response. Probably the shortest response ever. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. I'm not elaborating. I ain't going there. You have just touched on the most painful area of my life. Where's your husband? Go, go get him. I don't have a husband. Yes, I don't have one of those right now. That's hurting right here in this inside. And Jesus said, you've said well. I think the way he said it is there was no anger in his voice because the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. He didn't say, of course you don't, you brazen hussy. He didn't do that. He just says, you said right. You've said well. I have no husband. And he looks at her and he's probably just choked up because he knows her hurt, he knows her pain. He's a man acquainted with sorrow. He knows the depths of a man or a woman's soul. He says, you've had five husbands. And that, that, that probably took her back. Like, what, what are you saying? You've had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. And that you spoke truly. Think about this. It's not like today where we we go in and out of marriage like we change clothes. This is a culture that you're divorced, you are, you're an anathema. And she's not just been divorced once. She hasn't been divorced just twice or three times or four times. She's been divorced five times and she's finally gotten to a place where she's abandoned it all together and she says, I don't even love the man I'm with. I just need what he has. And he doesn't love me. He just needs what I have. And we have an agreement. There's no love. I'm not going there. My heart is sealed. Nobody gets it. I'm crushed. That is the most painful area of my life. I have tried. I have tried. And you know what she is? She's disillusioned. Remember we covered last week an illusion is 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 perceiving something incorrectly and now she's disillusioned the the enchantment of of this of this happiness she thinks happiness is going to be found in a long-term relationship and and she'll jump into one this man will do it now he's promised me this and it never comes to fruition and her heart's empty and crushed she goes to the next guy crushed i won't fall for that again falls for it again crushed she's not even three four times she's she's into this five times and Jesus has gone right to the heart of the matter. Just shoom. And Jesus. And Jesus just churned it around and, you know, just said royal flush. Boom. And she's got three of a kind. or no. She's struggling. And Jesus just nailed her. And didn't nail her to make an example of her. He said, listen, you have been drinking from a well that has never satisfied you. We've been talking about living water. You've been drinking from the well of relationship. You've been in there so many times that you are empty and miserable. You know how thirsty you are. You know you still long to be loved. You know you still long for these things. This is the well that you've been going to time and time again, and you keep drawing from it at great expense to yourself. You drink, and you're still thirsty. And I'm telling you right now, this is the issue. At the heart of every issue is an issue of the heart. This is the biggest issue for you. You didn't even want to go there. 
And when, when he hits her right between the eyes lovingly to reveal the empty well of her soul. And, and why is it she's had five husbands and is living with a man? We can infer a thousand things. Some of you are psychologists. Some of you are psychiatrists. Some of you understand counseling. You understand she probably has a father issue. What, did he die when she was young? Did he leave her mother? Did, did he molest her? What is it that has pierced her soul so deeply that she, she's trying to drink from a well of relationship, trying to find dad in any man she can, can connect with? What is it? Look, I, I know everyone in the room has been hurt. I know we've all been drinking from a well that leaves us still thirsty. We still believe the illusion somehow. We think that that is going to satiate us. And every time we do, it leaves us, it leaves us convicted and broken and distant and lonely and angry. The men went to, a, you know, to every, every man's battle to, to last two Sundays ago, I think it was. Last Sunday. And, and, and hearing some of the stories of the men and the emptiness that the pornography leaves in the soul of a man. And how it distances our, our intimacy with our wives and the struggles that we, we engage in and, and all of the stuff that we face. And yet, men still go back and drink from that well. And all it just gives them shame. And you, you try to sear your conscience and you try to reject the shame and you try to embrace it as though it's, it's, a, it's, it's an acceptable lifestyle. I remember I went to a recovery group to go speak this, the, right after I had been at the Everyman's Battle and I went to Rocky Peak. I was invited to be a speaker at the recovery group. And when I went there, a man stood up to talk about this. He says, I've overcome alcohol. He says, pornography is overwhelming. So I got a block on my computer. I, I brought it into the light. I'm, I'm walking. And, and, and this, is, this is the world. And this is the struggle. And, and so every man's battle, I would say, what is your battle? What is the well that you've been pulling from that is still leaving you thirsty? What is it that just doesn't satiate? Why do you keep going back to the thing that's killing you? Why do you keep going back to the thing that's destroying you? Why are you enchanted by an illusion that is doing nothing but destroying your relationships and your intimacy and, and those things that are important to you, destroying your body? It doesn't have to be pornography. It can be drugs. It can be alcohol. It can be relationships. I'd fill in the blank. But Jesus he made a beeline for you this morning, just like he did for the woman. He went through Samaria to sit with her at the well, and he made a point to come here today to talk to you. I don't know your struggles, but I got news for you. He does. All things are laid bare before his eyes. He knows about everyone and everything, all of it. And when Jesus lays this out to the woman, her response is, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. She's stunned by it. And the three things that Jesus put before her was, he said, you don't know who I am. I would say to those of you who are thirsty and you have been pulling from that empty well or that well that has left you thirsty, you don't know who Jesus is. He's here. He's touching your heart. He loves you. The other thing that Jesus presented to the woman is he said, you, you don't know what I'm offering you. I'm offering you living water that will satiate your soul and give you everlasting life. Why would you reject so great an offer? I know, Jesus says. And then the third thing he says to her is, all you need to do 
is ask. I'll give it to you. If you believe in your heart, confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. She's touched. And it, it rattles her. She's rattled. How does he know these things? What, who told him? What is going on? She is, she's flustered. That's my heart. You don't know what I'm going through. No, I do. He's probably crying at the time. He's probably looking at her tenderly. Oh, you, you know I do. She tries to change the subject, and I've been through this many a time. When you've, you've called for the question, you're right there, and the person knows that they've been confronted with the thing that's killing them, and they, they, they don't want to deal with it, so they, they just try to change anything. They try to change the subject. She goes right back to the stupid Jacob mountain deal. Our, she says, verse 20, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and the Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. <laughs> she goes back to the Jacob Mount Gerizim gimmick. Jesus said, woman, believe me, the hour's coming when you'll neither worship in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. <laughs> worship the Father. Come on. You worship what you don't know. You worship what you don't know. He says in verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Tell the truth. This is what's killing you, isn't it? The woman said to him, I know the Messiah's coming who's called the Christ, and when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And she's looking at him going, like, is that you? Jesus said to her, and this is where he reveals for the very first time in his public ministry, he says, I who speak to you and me. You can imagine her heart, just, oh, I knew this day would come. She's touched. I love her response. It says in verse 27, at this point his disciples came and, the, and they marveled at him, talking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? And then they're like, what are you doing talking to a Samaritan? And they're like, shh. And they could tell, we can't interrupt this. Her eyes are locked on his, his eyes are locked on her. It, they're having a conversation. These folks are irrelevant. And they're just, Phew. But it's verse 28 that gets me. The woman then left her water pot. She just drops it. And she goes into the city. And I love what it says. And she said to the men. Because <laughs> she knew them all. <laughs> I just thought I'd say that. No, hey, listen, watch this. Don't, don't go getting all creepy on me. She didn't go to the women. She went to the men. She knows the men better than any of the women in the, in the, in the town. They all come to her. She knows what a man wants. They all go to her. She goes to them. And, and she goes to them. She says, come and see a man who told me all the things I ever did. <laughs> you can imagine the men. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? Did you, did you tell him? Who, who are you talking to? Do you know the position I hold in this community? And I love it. it says, she said, could this be the Christ? Their response was, then they went out of the city and came to him. We got to shut this guy down. They're like booking out of the city. Where is he? Don't say nothing. <laughs> and the scripture goes on to say that revival occurred in the Samaritan town. Limited in time, and I would just say to you this morning, in closing, 
you look at Christ and you see how he goes right to the heart of the issue. Why are you in church? What is this relationship with the Lord all about? Where do you not want to go with him? What's the issue that you are holding so close to your chest you don't want anyone to see it? What is it? Because that's hindering you from being satiated. That's hindering you from sharing. That's hindering you from being loving and other-centered and effective in kingdom ministry. What is it? You've been hurt? We all have. But are you happy? I know the answer to that because I've sat in your seat. Give it to him. He knows your heart. He knows your struggle. If you're going to be healed, you got to go there. And you got to give that to him. And unlike men who are going to let you down, and if you want to use me as an excuse, I will fail you. I will let you down. If you want to use the church as an excuse, the church will fail you and the church will let you down. But the Bible says every man is without excuse because Jesus won't let you down. Confess it. Say, God, yeah. It hurt when my dad left. I've never been able to forgive him. Well, he's got you in a prison and you hold the key. You want to let yourself out? Forgiveness isn't forgetting. Forgiveness is putting the consequences of what that man did to you in the hands of the Lord so you can go on with your life. Bitterness is a poisonous pill that you're swallowing on your own and it's killing you while you wait for the person you hate to die. As God has forgiven you, forgive one another. What is the illusion that you're living under? The only way that you're going to be set free is to be disillusioned. And being disillusioned is not a bad thing. I'm so depressed. I'm so disillusioned with the world. I'm so good. Because you've been drinking from the wrong well. Jesus' words are a bubbling artesian well that spring to everlasting life. And today he offers it to all who would come and drink. And he offers forgiveness. And he gives you the power to forgive. Amen? Amen. Pray with me, would you? Lord, I, I see in this woman, myself and so many others, that we think we can play you. But you got our number. You know us intimately and you know every struggle we have. We can deny that and try to run through life drinking from water that doesn't satisfy, from empty wells. But you've come that we might have everlasting life, living water. Those who are thirsty come and drink. Christ said, I am that living water. He's come that you might have life, not bitterness, not death not anger, not unforgiveness. He's come that you might have life. And he is the Christ, as the woman declared. Christ means Messiah, means Savior. We're lost, and he found us.
And he says, come to me, all you were wearied and heavy laden, burdened, and I'll give you rest. I'll quench your thirst. You believe in your heart, you confess with your tongue, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. The living water then comes inside you and you come alive to the Spirit of God. And you receive that by faith, by saying, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. By your blood shed on the cross, I, I believe that I've been cleansed of all unrighteousness. Now take up residence in my life that I would be born of the Spirit and I would be a well of living water to those around me, not a stagnant, heartless, bitter, poisoned well. Cleanse me, God. Forgive me as I forgive those who've hurt me. And by your power, I receive that living water. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. amen. Let's stand and close with a song of praise.